All right, if, um, we're going to start off with the kids feature this morning. So if all the children want to come up to the front and sit down over here, that would be fantastic. Come and have a seat. Right on. Hey, it is good. I am so glad you guys are all here today. This is fantastic. I'm very glad you're here too. Yep. Are you going to sit down right over here? You have money? Is it for me? No. No? Who's it for? Oh, you. Okay. Come sit down. Yeah, everybody come have a seat. This is fantastic. You know, today is a pretty special day because uh, today is a birthday. Um, today is your birthday. You're right. You know what? Three years ago, your daddy sent me a text, and he told me, you know what that is? Three, exactly. He sent me a text, and he said uh, that you, you had been born. And he told me that from now on, every year, they were going to have fireworks for your birthday. Yeah? So do you think there's going to be fireworks for your... Wait a little bit. Wait a little bit. Do you think there's going to be fireworks for your birthday today? Yeah, you're right. Yep. It's going to be... Right on. Do you know why are there fireworks today? Wait a little bit. Why are there fireworks today? It's Canada Day. Yes, you are right. Today is Canada's, it's not just Sadie's birthday today. Today is also Canada's birthday. Do you know how old Canada is going to be today? How old is Canada turning today? You're turning three. Uh, but how old is Canada going to be today? And we got two smart students sitting right here. Now I got to choose between. Oh, and we've got a few more smart students over there. Because we can't choose between brother and sister, we're going to have to go over here and we're going to have to ask Kara. Very good. 100 and. Is that what you were going to say too? Right. 151 years old, Canada is going to be today. Wow, that is pretty cool too. Do you know that Canada... Cool, yeah. Can I talk a little bit about Canada now? Okay, right on. So, do you see the flag up there? That's Canada's flag. Do you know that we have a very special country that we live in? Canada... Canada is a very special country. There are so many things that we get because we live in Canada that many people around the world, they don't get because they live in different countries. One of the things that we get, how many of you are in school already? Yeah, and how many of you are going to be starting school this next year? Anybody here? You? I, I don't think it's going to be tomorrow, but in another year or two, you're going to be in school. This, Canada, you guys are all telling me all the good things about Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, now, can I talk a little bit more about Canada? So one of the nice things about Canada is that we get to go to school. There's many countries around the world where little boys and girls like you, they don't, wait a little bit, where little boys and girls around, they don't get to go to school. But in Canada, we get to go to school. When we feel... When we feel really, 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 really sick, then do we go to a 
to a hospital or to a doctor. And no, we don't go to school. When we're sick, then we go to a... That's right. And you know what? In Canada, we get to go to a hospital when we feel sick. There are many countries around the world where when people are sick, there's no hospitals to go to. And so we are very, very fortunate. We are very blessed that we get to live in an amazing country like Canada. You know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that we need to pray for, be thankful for, and pray for our country and the leaders in our country. And so I want to give you a little something today that's going to be a reminder. Wait a little bit. That's going to be a reminder for you tonight when we pray or during the day when we pray. It's going to be a reminder for us to remember to thank God for our country and then also to pray for the leaders in our country. Do you guys know who the prime minister is in our country? Anybody here know who's the leader in our country? Wyatt? Justin Trudeau. Jesus, that would be fantastic, right? We're hoping, we're hoping that that is also the case, and that's what we're going to pray about. So here's, here's some little things for each of you to take with you. This is going to be, again, your moms and dads are going to be really thankful. And so here's one for you. And one for you. And one for me. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then once you have it, then you can go back to your moms and dads, okay? And this will remind you. Me? Yeah. This will, just for your birthday. Yeah. There you go. And this will remind you to thank God for Canada. Right on. One for you, too. And, oh, be careful. And one for you. You guys are so kind. You wait nicely for your turn. Way to go. Way to go. And one for you. And now you can go back to your, where your mommy and daddy are. And one for you, Benson. Yeah. You're welcome. And one for you. And one for you. Ho, ho. I guessed pretty much right. And one for you. Look at this. These ladies get one too. Way to go. I appreciate you guys waiting till the end. And one for you, Jerry. You wanted one too? Oh, you didn't? Okay. I saw your hand up. I was wondering. <clears throat> All right. So much for that. Uh, once again, like I said last Sunday, um, if you would ever become, the rest of you, would become that interactive an audience uh, when I was preaching, uh, I, um, I don't know what I would do. I, I definitely would not be prepared mentally for, uh, for that kind of activity. So now I'm going to start relaxing. Uh, we're going to shift gears significantly. Uh, that was our little Canada Day thing, and we certainly as a church want to acknowledge and recognize uh, how incredibly grateful we are for the country that we live in and I also want to, like Pat already did, challenge you to, uh, to instead of em embracing or, or buying into the concept of, of complaining about our government authorities, to, uh, to rather use that time uh, to pray for them and to lift them up and to trust that God is working in their lives as much as he is working in, uh, in my life and, uh, and I trust in each one of ours. 
We're going to shift gears. Um, I love this, this picture that we've got up on the screen. I'm not totally sure what you think when you see a picture like that. Um, maybe, maybe one of the first days, crazy kid, you know, crazy. Uh, maybe you're thinking crazy parents. Uh, where are the parents of this, of this little boy? Or maybe you're thinking uh, crazy horse. Does that horse have any idea what is going on? Does that horse have any idea that he has a thousand times the power of the one to whom he is submitting? Does that horse have any idea that he could take one big step and that poor kid would be done? Does that horse have any idea that actually it could go wherever it wanted to go? Or is that horse actually going exactly where he would like to go? Or does that horse understand something about how the kingdom of God works that we humans with our power-obsessed minds find almost impossible to grasp? We will come back to that question a little bit later. We've been studying the Beatitudes, a grouping of very interesting sayings of Jesus recorded in the book of Matthew in chapter 5 at the beginning of what we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount, a group of sayings that begin with the words, blessed are, and the concept is blessed are you when, or blessed are those who and it's a very interesting list of activities or life attitudes or ways of thinking that set you apart as being blessed. It is certainly not the normal list of things that we would use to describe someone who is blessed. And the list also very much flies in the face of the powerful, kingdom-obsessed people to whom Jesus is speaking these words. See, these people were focused on somehow bringing the physical Jewish nation back to a place of prominence on the world stage. Incidentally, something that I believe far too many Christians are still erroneously obsessed with. We could probably debate that, but we'll do that on another occasion. And Jesus speaks, as Jesus speaks to them and shows them with his actions that he is introducing a new kingdom. One that will have nothing to do with the bloodlines and physical strength and power and smarts and wealth and health. And so this kingdom that Jesus introduces here with this sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. And even more specifically with the beatitude sayings that are in the first uh, ten verses of chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, as he begins his little message. And then as Jesus exemplifies what that looks like during the rest of his life here on earth, as recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, we come to understand why this kingdom that Jesus is promoting and bringing and exemplifying is, uh, is accurately described as an upside-down kingdom. A kingdom that seems to be just completely inverted from what our power-obsessed world would view as a desirable kingdom. And so the first statement 
that Jesus made was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And the people go, that doesn't make sense. The poor in spirit, that means the people that are broken and humble and realize that they don't have what it takes to do what needs to be done, so completely opposite of their way of thinking, I would say in many ways very completely or very opposite also of our way of thinking. I remember a few years ago, uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers had something going on that they called Swaggerville. And, uh, and basically what it was, uh, a name that they received because of the swagger with which they entered uh, or walked in life, but in which they entered uh, game time. We have got it. We are the best. Nobody can touch us. And incidentally, many coaches uh, in almost any sport will, will try to... Um, infuse a little bit of swagger into their team. If we're going to be good, we have to believe that we're good. And if we do a little bit of this swagger thing, we're going to actually be a little bit intimidating to the opponents. Swagger builds kingdoms. Poor in spirit? Uh, apparently not this kingdom. Not the one that Jesus is talking about. Apparently this type of kingdom is in the hands of people that humbly realize and acknowledge that they are not enough. That they are not the best. That they do not have what it takes to win. That they do not have what it takes to do what needs to be done. If I will be on the winning side, it will be by the grace of of someone much bigger and stronger than me. To such belongs the kingdom. Upside down. Last week it was another ironic upside down statement by Jesus. Uh, Blessed are they that mourn. And you go, what? How's that possible? People who are completely immobile and totally incapacitated and empty because they're grieving and mourning. They have nothing to give. How can that build a powerful kingdom? And we looked at a verse that said, actually, when you are weak, then you are strong. Upside down. Let me just add a little something here. Um, to what we talked about last week, we talked about those who are uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We said, and I still believe this, that there is actually something of God that you can only experience when you are right at the bottom. Completely empty. Nowhere else to turn. And we mentioned a few different scriptures that highlight the depth to which God's grace and love and sustenance will go to reach you when you find yourself in such an empty place. There's an additional element here that we did not really touch on that kind of struck me this week as I was reviewing a little bit what we had said and where we were going this next, uh, this next Sunday, this morning. And so let me briefly explain before we take another step on the ladder and go to the third rung and look at today's beatitude. A significant aspect of that morning that we were talking about uh, last Sunday and that's described here is the mourning and grieving that happens surrounding the recognition 
of our insufficiency and our sin and our unrighteousness and the way we hurt people and hurt ourselves and hurt God and the way that we just can't seem to, as humanity, the way that we just can't seem to get it right, the sin that's holding us down and dragging us down, the way that we just can't seem to get it right before God. And that's actually a big problem. We have a big problem. God is God, and me not being able to get it right before Him is a problem. And I grieve that, and I mourn that. Now, if that is what I am mourning, then what might it mean when it says, for they will be comforted? If I had any kind of a voice at all, I would start singing Amazing Grace. I do not know of something more comforting to somebody who is mourning and grieving his, his insufficiency, his incompleteness, his sin, his, his imperfection, the fact that I can just never get it right, and the fact that I'm just always struggling and being tempted and falling. I cannot think of anything that is a more significant word of comfort than amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. And so, that is comfort at its highest level. And we didn't really touch that last week, and so I felt like I needed to add that. I will never get tired of sharing Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 to 14. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I, I, I am speechless. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. Comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So that's a little extra about blessed are those who mourn. Then let me give you a little extra about the words blessed are. I keep on finding additional stuff as we study the next beatitude. Um, I won't repeat our whole definition of the word blessed that we've gone through the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's up on the screen, but let me just add an additional aspect that's important to remember that I came across uh, this past week and, and that I just want to share with you. I read in a commentary this week as I was working on preparation for this uh, third rung on the ladder that we're going to be uh, embarking on today that it is important that we understand that in each case these words, blessed are, are clearly spoken in the present tense. Now that's significant. That means you are blessed here and now, not just at some future date as in heaven. You know, a quick reading might lend itself to us thinking that way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know. You know, people who are humble and broken and, and they got nothing going on here on earth. I mean, someday when they get to heaven, wow. Or, or the one that we read last week, you know, blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, yeah, I know, you know, life here sucks and it's tough and it's hard. And, but someday when we get to heaven, wow, it's going to be amazing. And 
and I believe it will. Um, but it's important for us to recognize that these words, blessed are, are present tense words. In each case, the intention is that somehow we experience the blessings of God now, here on earth, while we feel poor in spirit, while we mourn. And the one that we're going to look at today is while we are meek, here on earth, now, the intention of God is that we would somehow be walking in His blessing now, present tense. And so the one for today is, uh, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse, verse 5. Perhaps the most important thing to do there is, is to define the word meek, and we're going to get there in, uh, in just a minute. But let me just make a few quick observations about the succession of these statements. So, blessed are the poor in, state, uh, poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek. So there's a little bit of significance to the, the progression of those statements. The first two statements, poor in spirit and they that mourn, uh, if, you, if you think about it a little bit, it's all about you. You as an individual. Your heart, your attitude, your feelings, your faith. In both cases, God brings something to you as an individual supplying your need, something that you have need of. But it's all you and God, just between you and God. This statement that we're looking at here today, uh, blessed are the meek. It's the first statement that actually involves other people. It's the first statement that involves how you deal with, live with, in relation to, when you are in relation to the people around you. This blessed statement cannot be lived out without being surrounded by other people. So in that sense, it continues to make sense that these uh, rungs on a ladder are moving forward or upward, you know, toward a more complete picture of what this new upside-down kingdom of heaven actually, actually looks like. So let's go to this word, meek. Um, uh, the word that's translated meek here gives us a little bit of problems. It's, it's very hard to accurately define with one English word. Uh, we've, it's often been very incorrectly assumed to be something very similar to the word weak. Uh, that is, let me please, please if you, if you have not been listening till now, listen now, and then if you need to switch off again, go ahead. The word meek is very much not the same as the word weak. Very much not. And if you keep listening, you'll understand a little bit more why. Here's a list of words that need to be part of the list of words that define this word that's translated meek. Um, quiet, spirited, uh, I like the fact that it says quiet, spirited. Not just quiet. Uh, there's a lot of spirit here. Gentle, self-sacrificing, submissive, compliant, cool. I'm not sure if that's the, the, the young people's new definition of the word cool or if it's cool and collected. Um, my commentary didn't tell me that, 
patient and strong. What? You go, how does the word strong fit into the rest of that list? And I'm going to draw your attention again to that horse picture. Do you remember the horse picture that we started off with? Keep that in your mind. One of the best biblical examples from the life of Jesus is, um, is in the little story in John chapter 13 of where Jesus exemplifies meekness is in the story in John chapter 13 where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And uh, check out this wording together with me. John chapter 13, starting with verse 3, and it's also going to be on, uh, on the overhead here. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, looked them all in the eyes and gave them each a detailed instruction of what to do and how to do it and the consequences if they should decide not to be 100% obedient. No, that's not what it says. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, got dressed like a servant, and began moving from one to the other, washing their feet. A, a very intriguing wording. Very intriguing concept. He understood all the details. He understood his rightful position before God. He got all of that. And it was in fact that very knowledge, it was that awareness that allowed him to make a choice. Just like that horse had a choice. He could stomp on that little boy he could just ignore that little boy and walk the other way. He could kick him aside. He could do his own thing. Or he could submit to what the little boy wants and gently walk alongside him. He gets to choose. It is his power that gives him a choice. See, being meek is a choice. If, on the other hand, you are in a place where you are weak and you are simply doing what you're doing because you are worth nothing and you have no power and you are a slave and everything is dictated to you and you have no choice in the matter, that is actually not meekness at all. When you get it, that you don't have to, that you have the strength and the resources to do whatever you would like to do. And from that position, you choose to serve. And you choose to submit. And you choose to be compliant. And you choose to be self-sacrificing. Ah, now it becomes meekness. 
Because you have the power that you don't have to. And it is the very fact that you have the power that allows you to actually even make a choice from the get-go. This follows poor in spirit and those who mourn. See, when you get it that you have nothing that is sufficient enough to give and you don't have to because God has done it all. Not at all unlike what it says about Jesus in John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So then he... If we understand that I am completely freed, I am completely forgiven, and I understand who I am in Christ... And from that position, I make a choice to act kindness and generosity and self-sacrifice and compliance and obedience. Then it becomes meekness. If we will be meek with and among the people around us, the people we deal with and interact with on a regular basis, it becomes critical for us to begin with understanding who we are. Understanding that you are freed and forgiven, that even though we don't have what it takes, God has done it all. We are good. We're holy in Christ. And then from that secure position, we choose to live this out. See, when we deal with people, be that our own children or our parents or siblings or spouse or workers or bosses or fellow community members, fellow church people or fellow students or team members, we struggle when we do not feel secure in who we are. We tend to get defensive. We tend to feel threatened. Your security, your self-worth, your reputa reputation, your need to be right. But when you understand who you are in Christ, that you have come from God, and that you are going back to God, that He has put all things under your power, then there is no reason not to be a servant. There is no reason not to wash someone's feet. There is no reason to yell back at someone. There is no reason to fight. Because I don't have to prove who I am. I am completely sufficient in Christ. Christ has put all things under me. That's the foundation from which we move forward and make choices and interact with other people. God has put all things under me. That's the richness that comes from having been on the first rung of the ladder where you realize and accept the reality that you are poor in spirit and God has done it all for you. And you've walked the road of mourning. You've been at a completely empty place where it was God and only God that supplied what was needed to keep, go keep you going in your life. And you've come to a place where you realize on the first two rungs of the ladder, that it is all God. It's all God. And that you have God in you. And that is why you are secure. This meekness comes.
comes out of that. I know who I am in Christ. I don't have to fight. I don't have to yell. I don't have to defend. I don't have to persuade. I don't have to connive. I don't have to deceive. I don't have to harass. I don't have to revenge. I can simply be. I can simply be who God has created me to be. I have everything I need in Christ. I am strong in Christ. And from that I can choose. I can choose if I am going to be a willing servant. I can choose if I'm going to be submissive. I can choose if I want to be compliant. And when I choose yes to all of those things, it is no threat to who I am. I become meek. And according to this promise, out of, that out of that comes the blessing and the privilege of inheriting the earth. And you see these people that are like this. And they do inherit the earth. Oh, no, no, no. Not in the sense of the traditional definition of the word kingdom. See, when it comes to kingdoms, you know, the big thing tends to be take over new territories. You know, ultimately, I think it's fair to say to take over the next and the next and the next and ultimately kind of like the game of risk, you know, where you take over more and more and more and the goal is to take over the whole thing, the whole world, to take it all over. So again, this is revolutionary because as people are thinking kingdoms and taking over new territories and being a world power and exerting your strength as a nation or as a kingdom, Jesus comes along and says, blessed are the meek, the ones who choose to be submissive, choose to be compliant, out of their strength. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And people go, what? How's that possible? I mean, you have to fight for your rights. You have to fight for your territory. You have to fight to gain new territory or you will never be a powerful kingdom. And Jesus says, actually, it doesn't work that way. Let me give you a somewhat practical example. About 10 years ago, I was in a hospital bed for two weeks. I could just barely make it to the bathroom and back. And I had nurses checking on me on a regular basis to see if I needed anything and they were running and getting me stuff. And I remember one evening, it was quite late already, and, and I felt so guilty about constantly, you know, bugging the nurses to get me stuff and do stuff for me. And so I somehow dragged myself across the hall to the, to the microwave that was just down the hall on the other side to warm up my coffee. And as I was hobbling back towards my room, one nurse caught me. And, um, and she asked me, what in the world are you doing? You're, you're not supposed to be moving around. And she kind of really gave it to me. You're supposed to be in bed. That's what, this is what we're here for. And I said, well, I, I don't, I don't want to keep on bothering you guys. And she said, smarten up. We are here to serve you. And I, and I got this incredible treatment. Honestly, I, I kind of think I was a pretty good patient too. Um, I, I tried not to take advantage of my position. I tried to be grateful and humble and, and, and thankful all the time. And, and one evening, uh, chatting a little bit with one of the nurses, she told me the story of another guy. Um, he was admitted. And the moment he was admitted, he demanded stuff. He demanded and demanded 
and it demanded. And in less than a day, there was not a single nurse that wanted to go to his room when his buzzer went. And his buzzer would go, and he would have to wait and wait and wait and wait. And finally, they would flip a coin or whatever to see who would be the one that would actually go and take care of this guy's needs. And so here's this guy that demands his rights. He's fighting for his rights. He's going to exercise his power and his authority. And he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting, and he's waiting for the very thing that he's demanding. And meanwhile, in this case, I'm down the hall asking for nothing, and nurse after nurse is poking their head in the door and saying, is there anything we can get you? Is there anything we can get you? Anything we can get you? In this case, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Sure, you can demand your rights, you can fight for your rights. You can manipulate with your strength and power. Tell me how that works for you. Or you can choose to be like this horse. Here's how one commentary puts it, and I'm going to conclude with this. These meek ones, they are represented as happy, even in this world. They are blessed, for they have the most comfortable undisturbed enjoyment of themselves, their friends, their God. They are fit for any relationship and condition, any company. They are fit to live and they're fit to die. They shall inherit the earth. Oh, not that they shall always have very much of the earth, but this branch of godliness has in a special manner the promise of life that now is. Meekness, however ridiculed and run down, has a real tendency to promote our health, wealth, comfort, and safety, even in this world. The meek and quiet are observed to live the most easy lives compared with the froward and turbulent. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen.